Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're in a brand new series you guys know called 21 Days of Prayer and Fasting, High Frequency. We're trying to tune in to God and we're trying to develop some good disciplines as we launch into this year to help us to truly connect with our Heavenly Father. I really do believe that if you want something from God you've never had before, you have to be willing to go somewhere with God you've never been before. And for some of you to press into this level, at this commitment level, uh, to really pray and to seek Him each day, this is a brand new experience for you. And my prayer is that you'll be able to connect dots you'll be able to see God work in an undeniable way in your life as a direct result to the commitment you have to prayer. I believe prayer probably has a bigger impact on the person praying than the one they're praying for. Prayer always changes things and prayer changes people and prayer changes you. And the first weekend out, I talked to you about the great potential of prayer. The prayer can do anything because God is not limited by anything. So regardless of where you are, regardless of what you go through, regardless of who you encounter, you never have to say to someone, there's nothing I can do. You can always pray. There's always something you can do. When every door is closed in your face, there's always a door that's open. It's that upper door, it's that access you have to God through prayer. So we talked about potential of prayer. Last weekend, I talked about the power of prayer. Prayer is enormous power. God can do anything. What do you need him to do in your life? What is the thing you desire most in your life right now? Maybe your family, maybe a friend. What is it that you're really seeking God to do? Direction, relationship, finances, career. I mean, what is that thing that is just predominantly on your mind and whatever it is, let me tell you, God has the power to meet that need. You don't have a need. You don't have something in your life that you have that he cannot Answer And the way he does so is through, through prayer. Uh, in fact, it's not that we don't pray correctly, it's that we just don't pray at all. And this morning, I, w- I wanna talk to you not just about the potential and the power of prayer. This morning, I'm gonna talk about the practice of prayer. How do you make prayer a practical part of your daily life? Well, I would tell you one of the things I, I think you could do as creating some new disciplines is connect Connect prayer with something you do every day. Uh, Make it very practical. Connect it with something you do every day. Maybe in the shower, it's your prayer time. Uh, Maybe on your commute, into school or work, that's your prayer time. Maybe if you work out, that's your prayer time. Connect it with something you do every day because then it will become a practical part of your your daily life. So so make, and remember, as we said last week, we, we don't say prayers, we pray prayers. Prayers are just conversations that we have with God. You share with him how you're feeling. You share with him what you're thinking. Um, That's why I think sometimes we pray confused prayers. I think sometimes you pray angry prayers. Sometimes you pray, um, you know, doubting prayers even. I think that's possible to say, Lord, I don't know how this is gonna work out. Remember the man whose child was sick and God said, your child is healed. Do you have the faith to believe it? And the man responds to Jesus, Lord, I believe. And then he said, help my unbelief. You ever been there? 
I know you can, God, I just don't sure if you will. <laughs> so there's always that in your head. So I'm saying that when you connect prayer with something you do every day, just keep it real. One of the things Jesus instructed us in Matthew 6 when he was talking about the principles and, and the practice of, of prayer, he said, keep it fresh. He said, just be real. Don't, don't pray um, in vain repetitions or empty words. Uh, he said, don't, don't be hypocritical when you pray. Um, so just, just keep it real, I guess, right? So don't be hypocritical, don't use vain uh, re repetition, and you come before him with an expectation that the God of heaven will hear you, hear you when you pray. Now, on a practical way as we get into this talk this morning, let, let me tell you some things that could possibly hinder your prayers getting answered. You say, okay, Bill, I, I buy into the potential, I buy into the power, I, I'm, I'm gonna try to learn about the practical practice of prayer, but uh, help me understand some things that could potentially keep my prayers from being answered. Well, let me give you four things that I found. Number one, selfishness. One of the things that will hinder a prayer being answered the way we pray it is selfishness. Listen to James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motive. You're asking that you may spend the thing that you desire on your own pleasure. In other words, you're not wanting this so that you can be a better person. You're not wanting this so you can make a difference in someone else's life. You're not wanting this so that you may bring honor to God. You're just wanting it because you want it. And sometimes we can become very selfish in the things we desire. And God says, look, selfishness will affect our prayers being answered. Second thing, not only selfishness, but sinfulness. Sinfulness, un Confessed sin in my life and in your life can hinder the process of God answering prayer. Listen to Isaiah 59, verse two. Your sin has made a separation between you and God. Your sin made distance between you and God. Listen to this now. And your sins have hidden his face from you. And then listen to the last phrase. So he does not hear. It didn't say he cannot hear. He says he doesn't hear. Uh, let, me, let me break that down practically for you. In a relationship with someone, you're not getting along with that someone, and you just kind of say, talk to the hand. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're wanting me to engage you in a different uh, area of conversation, and until we fix this relationship, we're not having this conversation. Well, that's how it works a little bit uh, with our relationship with God. Understand, there are two things that bind you to God. Number one is your relationship to him. He's your father, you're his child, and that, in my estimation, based on my understanding of scripture, is eternal. I believe in eternal security. Everybody who knows Jesus has eternal security. Most of them may not enjoy it because they think they're in and out and up and down, and did I do something that just broke fellowship with, you know, you know so they're gonna get to heaven, they're just gonna get there miserably <laughs> with an ulcer or two because they went through life worried that God may, you know, ride them off or kick them out. So I believe in eternal security. When you receive Jesus, you're sealed according to Ephesians 1 with the spirit of promise unto the day of redemption. Meaning your salvation is good until you step in his presence. Relationship, that cannot be broken. But, 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 fellowship can be broken. You can be in a relationship with someone and be completely out of fellowship with that someone. You can be in a relationship with someone right now this morning <laughs> and not be in fellowship with them. You could have had a debate with the mate on the drive, and while you're sitting here hearing me talk, you're saying, baby, we're picking this up and we get in the car. Now, I hope you don't, I hope you cool your jets, and I hope everything works out. 
But I know human nature, and sometimes relationship, good, fellowship, not so good. That's what Isaiah was talking about. He was saying, you're my child, and I'm your father, and we're in a relationship, but your sin has separated you from me. We're out of fellowship. And it's not that I can't hear you, it's that I'm not hearing you. So what do you do? Well, you fix the relationship, you fix the fellowship. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just keep short accounts with God. Just say, Lord, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that's a bad attitude. I shouldn't have treated him that way. I, I'm, I'm sorry, and you'll find forgiveness available, and you'll find then God very accessible. So selfishness and sinfulness. The third hindrance to prayer is faithlessness. Faithlessness. Um, Matthew 12, 58. He did not, speaking of God, did not many mighty things in their midst because of their unbelief. One of the things that we do when we pray is we pray in faith believing. We say, God, I don't know how it's gonna turn out, but I know you can. I know you're able. I know you're powerful. I, I, I believe with all my heart you can do it. So that's faith, that's praying in faith. You, you have, and, and sometimes you can get beat down a little bit. Sometimes you can get negative and cynical, but you have to fight through that because your heavenly father loves you more than you love you and he desires the best for you. And so when we go before him, we say, Lord, I wanna keep short accounts. I don't want sinfulness. I don't want selfishness. I don't want faithlessness to keep these prayers from being answered. Here's fourth one that I found, and that is unforgiveness, unforgiveness. Mark eleven twenty five. 25, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you. Here's what unforgiveness does. Unforgiveness burns the bridge over which you must eventually travel. And God is saying there are some things that you need to forgive, you need to let go of. By the way, there are some people you need to forgive and you need to let go of. I know the tendency is when you've tried to resolve a relationship and it seems unreconcilable and you get frustrated and you've confronted, you've done everything right, you've checked all the boxes, you picked the right time, you picked the right tone, you picked the right turf, you attacked the problem, you didn't attack the person, check, 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 and there's no resolving the issue. They won't own it. They will not believe that they've hurt you. They will not believe they betrayed you. They will not believe that they deceived you. They don't own their part of that. Well, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? Well, what do you do with a, this unreconcilable difference you have with other people? Now, you can break fellowship with them, not have anything to do with them. And if, they're, if it's a toxic relationship, especially if you're dealing with a narcissist, I highly recommend you break away from that. Get yourself out of there especially when helping them starts hurting you. So you, you, you break off that to protect yourself, but, but sometimes that still doesn't fix it. You still drag that relationship right back into the new relationship and you drag that person or that thing right back into the new person or thing. And, and what Jesus, the point, I think the principle he's saying is that as long as that heaviness is in your heart and as long as you have not forgiven or released them, it's going to hinder your prayer. And the reason I think we hold on to people and we hold on to things is we have a sense of justice that if I let it go, they get by with it. So if I can hold on to it, somehow we feel like we can make them pay. What is that old line about, you know, that sort of a thinking is like drinking poison, thinking it's gonna hurt the other person. I mean, there, there's something very unhealthy about that. 
Sometimes as a Christian, I think, you have to turn them over to the Lord. You have to say, God, I can't fix them. I can't fix this. This is running me crazy. It's disturbing my joy. It's taking away my peace. I'm just gonna give this to you. And forgiveness means to release. I'm gonna release them. I'm gonna release this. You remember when Peter asked Jesus, how often are we to do that? And he said, not just seven times, which was the requirement under the Levitical law. By the way, seven in biblical numerology is a number of perfection. He said seven times 70, which carries with it an infinite amount of forgiveness. What's the principle? The principle is sometimes to get yourself through this, you're gonna have to forgive someone every day. Sometimes throughout the day. Sometimes almost every moment of the day till you can get yourself past this and you get your heart strong enough and healthy enough where you can move beyond that relationship. And Jesus was saying, when you hold unforgiveness, it will have that effect. Remember the Beatitudes? I taught this a few months ago where Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Remember that? For they shall see God. And we talked about that idea in the Greek language, the pure in heart. The, the word pure is katharos, katharos. Um, we get the word catheter from that actually. And it's a, a device that removes impurities from the body. Is that safe? Um, and what he's saying is unforgiveness is a catharos in your heart. It's the catheter. If you hold on to impurity in your heart before long, it'll affect your mind. It'll affect your speech. It, it, before long, it, guys, it affects every part of your being. Your closest friend will begin to saturate your presence with their absence. So Jesus said, don't get your prayers hindered here. Release some stuff. Release some people. Let it go. No wonder when the apostles saw Jesus praying and they saw the disciplines of prayer, they said, that's what's missing in our life. They said, Luke 11, Lord, teach us to do that. Teach us to pray. Help us to have a connection, a practical connection with the heavenly father. It only affects you theologically, it'll affect you psychologically. Let me give you a study from the University of Michigan. Uh, this is not a Christian study. Group of sociologists, they were studying the effect that prayer has on the person praying. Interesting study. From their study, they found three significant findings. Number one, praying for a stranger, praying for a stranger led them to report less anger toward others than those who didn't pray. That's interesting. Praying for a stranger, the people who did this in the study reported less anger than the people who didn't pray. Here's the second finding. Praying for someone who angered them made them less aggressive toward that person than those who didn't pray. Catharos. It, it took that anger out of their heart, made them less. That's why the Bible says pray for your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Why? Because it's good for you. It helps you get that out of your system. Here's the third thing the study found. Praying for a friend in need made those who prayed less judgmental and more willing to help those than others who did not pray. Do you see the effect of prayer, practically speaking, how it can have on your life? In fact, when Jesus responds to the apostles and he responds by teaching them how to pray, it's the model prayer. Or some of you may have grown up in your church tradition hearing it called the Lord's Prayer. You heard that? If you have it, look at Matthew chapter six quickly with me, and let's look at the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. In fact, we'll put it on the screen. Read this out loud with me, will you? Here we go. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. He just prayed a beautiful prayer. <laughs> That's what Jesus told us to pray. Now, let me break this apart before we go home. The first thing Jesus points out is what I'm gonna call reverence, reverence. He begins the prayer by acknowledging our Father. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed, holy, honored be your name. Isn't it interesting that Jesus calls him Father? Now, what's significant about that, if you study your Bible, what you will find is that's the first time God is referred to as a Father. Jesus calls him Father. He brings this very familial connection into the relationship with God because sometimes we see God as transcendent, and he is, but we see him as distant, and he's not. We see him as uncaring. We see him sometimes as just this big, you know, cosmic killjoy, <laughs> you know, that's disconnected from my pain and confusion, and that's not the case at all. And Jesus said, look, you want me to teach you how to pray? Start this way. When you approach God, approach him understanding he is your father. You know what's cool about it? You don't have to go through me to get to him. Now, I believe in prayers of intercession. I intercede for people all the time. Prayed from folks this morning. I've got a list of people I pray for all the time. Some of them know Jesus. Some of them doesn't know Jesus at all. But I have people I pray for, friends of mine. I pray for different things that they've asked me to pray for in their life. It's called intercession. You're interceding for someone in prayer. However, it's not necessary for me to do their praying for them. I can pray for them without doing their prayer for them. You get that? <laughs> Meaning Jesus said, go to, he didn't say, go to Peter, you know, get John, you know, find my mom. He said, look, our Father who art in heaven, you have a direct line as a Christian, as a Christ follower, you can talk to Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Isn't that what he said? our Father <laughs> who art in heaven. Now he acknowledges where God is. As I said, he's transcendent, but he's also imminent. He can be both. Paul said God is, in Ephesians, he said God is above all and through all and in you all. <laughs> I think he might've been a Southerner there, in you all. But the point is, he said God is transcendent above all. He's in all and through all, he's imminent, meaning he's approachable, accessible, available. He's in your world right now. So the point I'm making is when I pray, I'm first and foremost knowing I'm approaching my, my father. I'm approaching someone who loves me and knows me. So I, I need to have a familiarity with it. I, I don't know about you, I've raised a couple of kids and some of you are kind of in that season. And I can tell you one of the things about my kids is they never had a problem asking me for anything. They, they didn't approach me in fear and cringing. In fact, most of the time, if they needed something, they didn't ask me at all. My wallet, money clip was around. I'm just 20 bucks lighter. I'll find that out later in the day. There's just a familiar, you ever walked out in the driveway and your car's gone? You found one of those little boogers, decided they're gonna take your car today? This happened? I'm just saying, what is it? Because you have a relationship with them, they don't fear you, they respect you, but they don't fear you in the sense that they don't come to you uh, and, and have a, you know, this dread of talking to you, not in a healthy relationship. If you have a nurturing family, your children ought to have healthy access to you. 
There shouldn't be anything they can't approach you about or talk to you about. That's what I'm driving at. There's, that's why I said pray confusing prayers, pray mad prayers, pray, pray those prayers because your heavenly father is a father just as we are fathers and mothers and he sees and he knows. And so approach him that way. Then he said, hallowed be thy name. Holy, reverence. Just as we have a familiarity with him, we also have respect for him. Now, not a, not a fear of God in the sense that you're afraid he's gonna hurt you or mash you like a bug in a rug. You know, it's none of that. But it's you, you're in awe of who he is. You're in awe of what he's able to do. You reverence him. You approach God realizing, man, this God is, is powerful and this God is available and this God is accessible and this God cares. He cares about, he cares about me. So Jesus brings in this aspect of reverence being so significant to our prayer life. And so I'm challenging you this morning as you, you put into the practice of prayer to realize your heavenly father loves you, he cares for you. Listen, if it's big enough to matter to you, it's big enough to matter to him. Somebody said one time, well, I, I can see praying about things that are big, but, but I can't see praying about little things. Well, can you imagine anything in the mind of God that would be considered big to God? <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, there's nothing too big for him, so there's nothing too small. He said, I see the sparrow when it falls. Remember, I told you a few weeks ago, he has the hair of your head numbered. Numbered, he didn't say counted. That would mean he knows how many there are. He says numbered, that means he knows which one they are. Now, why? He just wants us to know he cares about the most minute thing in your life. He cares about your grades, he cares about your school, he cares about your relationship, he cares about your marriage, he cares about your kids, cares about your career. If it's big enough to move the needle in your life, it'll move the heart of God. So approach him as your father and pray to him with honesty and openness, reverence. That is so important. Number two, it involves our dependence, our dependence. When we're praying, we're saying, God, you alone can meet this need. God, you alone can answer this prayer. Remember, he said, your kingdom come, your will be done. Now, when you study the Bible, you understand there is only one interpretation for each passage or text. Um, the Bible says there's no scripture of any private interpretation. Meaning, I can't take a verse out of its context and bend it and contort it and make it say what I want it to say. I joke to you about all the time, finding a tooth and building a dinosaur. It's kind of what I'm driving at. You, you can't contort scripture, and some people do. I mean, some denominations build whole denominations on contorting scriptures and bending it. And I've seen people even bend and contort. It's about as silly as, as where the Bible says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against, you remember that one in Ephesians 6? It'd be like taking the first part of that and say, we wrestle not, and say that's sin against wrestling. You can't wrestle. Now, if you're a wrestler in school, right there, the Bible says, wrestle not. Well, that's, what are you talking about? That has, that just, that you're contorting something. It doesn't even mean that. But people do that. So there's only one interpretation. So when he says, your kingdom come, he's not talking about the return of Jesus. That's, that's an application. You get one interpretation, but you can have many applications. Let me explain it. So the interpretation would be, for example, uh, or an application would be taking a verse and applying it in a different way, other than what the original interpretation meant. Uh, 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Remember in Revelation? When I was a kid in Sunday school, I had a Sunday school teacher <laughs> and she used flannel graphs. So she had a picture of this big wood door and this character knocking on the door. And he looked like uh, maybe he toured with Grateful Dead. And she said, you know, that's, that's Jesus, boys and girls. And he's knocking, but she said, he's knocking at your heart's door. You know, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Well, that's not the interpretation. That's an application. You see? In other words, it, it's okay because you, you use an application as long as it doesn't violate any other principles of Scripture. If it doesn't conflict or contradict, then it's a good application. So knocking at the door, knocking at your heart's door, that's a good application. The interpretation in Revelation is Jesus is on the outside of one of his churches trying to get back in. It's even worse. That's the interpretation. So when he says your kingdom come, it's okay to pray that Jesus will return, but that's not what he's saying. Even though in Revelation 22, 20, he ends the book by saying, even so come Lord Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with that. But what he's driving at here, when he says your kingdom come, he, he means your, your rule, God. I want your rule. Where there's a kingdom, there's a king. There's royalty. He's saying, God, not only are you my father, you are in control. Your kingdom come. That's why he takes the next step and says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So put that together in your mind. I approach him as my father. I respect and reverence who he is and what he can do. I recognize the fact that if my prayers are gonna be answered and I'm gonna be effective, I want his will in my life. God, I want your rule in my life. Remember we talk about God only wants for you what you would want for you if you just knew what he knows. So you trust him. You say, God, you're my designer. You're my manufacturer, you're my, uh, my power. So why would I not acquiesce? Why would I not, I not yield to your control, your kingdom come? So prayer looks like this. Let me put this together maybe another way. When I pray, I'm not going into the presence of God wanting my will to be done in heaven. According to what he said, I go into the presence of God asking for his will to be done on earth. You see the difference? God, I want your will to be done. I mean, yeah, we pray for things that we want and we pray for things that we, that we desire. But at the end of the day, the prayer needs to be, but God, your will be done. I want your perfect will. Because you never settle for, for good when best is available. So God, I want your will to be done. So that's a dependence that we're to have on God. Third word, it involves acceptance. Acceptance. It, it's realizing that God, this daily bread, this daily provision, it comes from you. And I accept, I accept the things that you bring into my life. And sometimes I accept the things you take out of my life. God, you can be trusted and I, I trust you. Give us this day. He said our daily bread. Notice he didn't say for the week or the month. He takes care of us each day. Um, he desires for us to walk with him every day. Remember Ephesians 5, uh, sorry, Galatians 5, when he says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. In other words, walking is just taking the next step. Walk in the spirit, walk in the spirit. Help me to be sensitive, Lord. Help me not do anything stupid. Help me, okay. You know, walk in the spirit. And when you, you live your life that way, he said, you're not gonna fulfill the lust of the flesh. It's almost a guarantee to keep from messing up. So he said, man, daily break, get daily steps, daily, day, day by day. And, and, and then he goes on to say in that same line, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. I kind of expounded on that. I won't 
take time to go over that again. And then he said, don't lead us into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. Now, don't misunderstand that. He's not saying God tempts us because the word temptation there is also the word test. God does test, he doesn't tempt. James 1 says God cannot be tempted and neither does he tempt. So what's the prayer? The prayer is, Lord, move me away from things that could take me down. Move me away from things that might be too overwhelming for me. Lead me away from those things. You know me, help me, Father, to steer clear of things that could be bad for me. In the best of cities, there's places you could go that would bring out the worst in you. And conversely, there's places you can go in the best of cities that would bring out the best in you. So you make choices through life. That's what the prayer is. Lord, help me to navigate through the pitfalls and all these things. Help me to guide my life away from the things that could be destructive. And recognizing the fact that every issue you and I face in life, there are two things that will be on either side of that same issue. Remember the cartoon with the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other? <laughs> you're gonna have a temptation on one side and you're gonna have a test on the other side. You're gonna have the enemy pulling at you one way, it's not worth it, just give in, give up, forget about it. What are you doing here, man? Church doesn't work for you, what you pray? What's you, get out of here. And then on the other side, you're gonna have a test. You know what, trust God. He's never failed you, he cannot fail you, he will not fail you. Never trust, listen, never trust in the, uh, never doubt in the dark what God told you in the light. If God gave you clarity and you made a decision back here when you were clear, and now that you're not so clear and you're in the dark, well, don't second guess yourself. Understand God is guiding you. On one side, yes, there's that temptation, but on the other side, this may, just, this may be a test. <laughs> Remember that, the emergency broadcast, this is a test. In other words, they're just, he's trying to see if you're able to go to life at the next level. Every student in the room knows a test is given to assess your readability, your, your availability, uh, your preparedness to go to the next level. Teachers know that if you haven't learned supportive material, then knowledge is, uh, Isaiah said it's line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. Meaning you build one thing on top of the other. There's a reason we go to grades. <laughs> There's a reason you're in preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, because you're gonna learn material that are gonna build on top of itself. That happens in your spiritual life. You can't jump levels. And so on one side, God's testing you. You know why? He wants you to see if you're ready to go to the next level. And so you have this acceptance, God, I'm accepting, I'm understanding what you're doing. Here's the last word. It involves confidence, confidence. Remember he said, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Jesus said, man, pray with confidence. Pray with certainty that God has heard you and God will answer according to his will and in his time he can be trusted. Let me give you a good verse. John 14, verse 13. Whatsoever you will ask in my name, that will I do, here's the caveat, that the Father might be glorified in the Son. He's not saying just whatever you want, I'm gonna do it. Remember we talked about selfishness can hinder those prayers. He said, whatever you ask, I'll do, provided the Father can be glorified in the Son. What does that mean? That means if I give this to you, will you having this give God more honor? Will you having this be a greater reflection of who he is in your life or not? 
And if I give this to you, and you in turn use this to bring God honor, to help someone, to be a blessing in someone's life, man, you've checked a lot of good boxes there to have that prayer answered. So you can pray with confidence. Lord, I believe this would bring you honor. I, I, I don't know why you would not answer. So Lord, I, I'm gonna trust you. Now next weekend, I'm gonna close the series. And I'm gonna talk about a perspective of prayer. Because I've prayed some prayers just like I've just described to you that hadn't been answered the way I prayed they would. Um, what do you do with that? What do you do when you pray in faith, believing, knowing that this will bring God greater glory? What do you do when your loved one dies? They die. Prime of life, still young. How do you handle that? I'll tell you next week a little bit about how I've been handling it. But I can tell you that as we end this series of emphasizing prayer, we need a perspective. We need to know that sometimes, sometimes, we don't get the prayers answered the way we pray them. So we have to come back to trust. God, I trust you. I believe you can, but if you don't, I'll just give you this for a close. Remember the three Hebrew children in the fire? When Nebuchadnezzar said, Daniel 3, when he said, if you don't bow, you burn. Remember that story? And they said, our God is able. He's able to deliver us. And then they said this, Daniel 3.17, but if he doesn't. I'm going to talk about this next week. Your prayer and your faith needs to be big enough to handle the times when God doesn't. Sometimes he says no. I believe many times, many times, it's not do you have enough faith to be healed, but watch this. Do you have enough faith not to be healed? Can you trust him then? Because sometimes he just says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts aren't your thoughts. As high as the heavens are above your head, so higher are my ways and my thoughts above yours. What's he doing? He's saying, trust me, trust me. I love you, I love them. I have a purpose and a plan, trust me. So I didn't mean to preach my sermon next week, so please come back. That's kind of it though, I just stepped on the lead there. My dad used to say, Bill, your mouth is gonna get you in so much trouble. So I make a living with my mouth. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. You said it doesn't return void or empty. It always accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. And I pray, Lord, that you would use me to clearly speak your truth to the hearts and minds of your people. You said that you desired the preaching of your word to affect changes in the lives of people. So Father, as we do this exercise of preaching your word, we pray that it will be with anointing and power, that people will receive it and then apply it in a way that changes their life. I pray for my friends here this morning. I pray for those going through some valleys and I, I pray, Lord, for healing. There's some people here who have family and friends who desperately need your touch and we believe that, I believe that. So Father, we pray for that. And then we pray in the midst of all this, we'll just trust you. We, we'll, we'll pray for the thing we desire and at the end of the day we say, Lord, your will be done, we trust you. Finally, Lord, I pray for anyone in the room or watching who's never trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment where they settle that once and for all. 
And they simply pray this prayer, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.